Well, good morning one more time, Victory Midtown. Are y'all doing all right today? Y'all look good. You sound good. It's glad to be in the house today. Well, I don't know about you, but did anybody else get stuck when that person said we eat Waffle House in our community? I'm like, I need that community right now. I'm a little hungry. Scattered, smothered, covered, chumped, all those good things. Well, listen, we're excited today as we're in the mood talking about food. I just want to say this one thing uh, and just, again, reiterate that we absolutely would love to see every man that's in this house today on Saturday at our men's breakfast. Uh, if you've never been able to participate in the men's breakfast, what you'll find is community is amazing. We're able to come together. Number one, it's free food. Got somebody right there. It's free food, um, and you, you know, we just want you to go online and register or go on Facebook and register. But we have an awesome time coming together, talking about some things. And the theme for this upcoming Saturday's men's breakfast is who's on your team? Who's on your team? And we're going to be talking about how we walk this thing out together. So, again, all the women in the house, push your men to the men's breakfast. All the men in the house, meet me there. This is my personal invitation to you. Uh, we look forward to seeing you. So I'm going to jump into this message because it's been an absolutely wonderful series that we've been in called The Future Church. Uh, and what we're doing in this series uh, over the last several weeks, this is week four. Over the last several weeks, we've talked about a lot of things that really cast vision for what the future of the church looks like. Not just this local congregation here at Victory Midtown, but the Big C Church as well. So what I've been endeavoring to do is to kind of cast vision for who we are and who we're becoming as a church, and then what we also have to do to make sure that we're relevant as we move forward uh, to really represent the body of Christ. Now, just for a quick review, if you haven't been here the first week, we talked about the Bible and the foundation of the Word and how important it is for us to make sure that on the solid rock that we stand, all of the things land on sink and sand. I got somebody with a little old school line right there. And then the second week, what we did is we talked about the next generation church, the next generation church. And what we did is we qualified that the younger generation, we will call them the 35 and under, and the older generation are the 35 and over, or 36 and over. So for some of you that thought y'all were like really, really young, if you're over 35, you're in the next generation. You're in the next generation. But that's okay. And what we did is we just started to talk about some of the trends that we have to really be aware of, and not just the trends, but some of the cultural shifts that we have to be very intentional about walking in to make sure that we're relevant and that we're reaching people for God. And then on last week, we talked about valuing others, valuing others. And literally, we talked about the fact that so many times people find value in their classes. People find value in how they identify themselves. And one of the big statements we made was that, you know, God is not a capitalist. He's not a socialist. I believe he's a kingdomalist. I just made that up. A kingdomalist. And because what we say is a capitalist, a lot of times we think about capitalist society, capitalists tend to say, okay, I am the answer. I am my source. While socialists a lot of times will say, you know, the government should be my source. And what we said is we're high, bringing ourselves to a higher understanding and a higher consciousness that the kingdom of God says God is the source. Amen? So as we talked about that, that leads us to what we're going to deal with today as we talk about a very important thing that even as I was preparing this message, I was literally being transformed. I was being changed because this message was challenging me, and I'm really uh, grateful to have the opportunity to share this with you because I believe we're going to leave here changed and we're going to leave here different. Amen? What we're talking about today is the communal church. The communal church. Now, as we're talking about the communal church, it's going to be critical that we grab this. And before I kind of tell you more about that, what's important of why we're even doing this whole series on future church is because if we don't change with the times, we'll become irrelevant. I'm not saying we adjust to be like culture, but we need to be relevant to actually reach culture. And the reality is, if we're going to be the kingdom of God, and just a little news flash, if you didn't know, you represent the kingdom of God. So if we're going to be truly the kingdom of God, we have to be able to speak truth to power. We have to be able to speak two relevant things and shifts that are going on in society or else we'll be left behind. And we'll wonder why people are going to hell in a handbasket if we're not doing what we need to do. So as we're talking about this, this message today is so much less about the methods. And it's about making sure that we keep the message, but we flow with pliability in our method. Y'all follow me? So as we walk through this thing, I want you to know something. Everything that we do, we want to start filtering it through this particular question 
of what does the Bible or what does God say about that? You might want to write that down. If you're taking notes, I don't think that's in your notes. I want you to start filtering your conversations, filtering your interactions, filtering how you actually see your life through when something happens, slow down a little bit and say, what does God say about that? What does the kingdom say about that? What does the Bible say about that? Because when we are able to do that, we now find ourselves getting in line with what God has for us. So today, as I said, we're going to talk about the communal church and why it's so important. So let me define really quickly where I'm coming from when it comes to talking about the communal church. I'm not talking about drinking some Kool-Aid and going on a commune and all this stuff. For some of y'all, it's just like, thank you for clarifying that because I thought I was getting ready to leave right now. What I'm talking about when we say communal, it means of, by, or belonging to the people of a community. Of, by, and belonging to the people of a community. Now, whether you know it or not, there is something, an epidemic that is making national headlines right now. All over the nation, national headlines. I'm not talking about, you know, the opioid epidemic. I'm not talking about, you know, even, you know, young kids, you know, in this vaping crisis. You know, they're getting Sour Patch Kids vaping, they're getting all cotton candy type of vaping. I'm not talking about that. I'm not even talking about the flu epidemic with all of its different strains. As a matter of fact, I'm not even talking about, you know, this SARS cousin or auntie or brother, whatever we're talking about that's coming over. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about an epidemic, this newest epidemic in America that is now affecting about 47% of Americans. This epidemic, as a matter of fact, if you look at, look at your neighbor real quick. Look at, look at your neighbor. If it's not you that I'm talking about, it's them. All right? If it's not you, it's probably them. This epidemic is affecting 47% of Americans, and it's actually rising the mortality rate or actually taking people down in the mortality rate just as much as someone smoking 15 cigarettes a day, just as someone having a problem with obesity and bad habits. This particular epidemic that I'm talking about is the loneliness epidemic. Yeah, things that make you go, hmm. The loneliness epidemic. You've heard me before, if you've been around here a little bit, talk about the, the, the whole fact of crowded loneliness. And crowded loneliness, what it says is that we might be around a lot of people, we might be close to a lot of people, see people on our front and our back, our left and our right, but we still find ourselves very alone. And a lot of times, people think and miss construed that if you're with people, that you're actually with people. And with this crowded loneliness epidemic, what we're saying is that there are more people driving around with their windows up, with earplugs in, with their head down, not connecting with people. Some stats that actually are very prevalent to us right now as we look at this, we need to understand that the loneliness epidemic really truly costs. I'm not talking about this theoretical thing, this emotional thing. I'm talking about where your pocketbooks get hit. Loneliness is actually costing Americans over $7 billion a year. How is that? It's costing Americans $7 billion a year, and the extra $7 billion a year is because, especially over the age of 60, a lot of people who are getting surgeries and they're trying to you know, recover from certain things in their health, it's taking them a lot longer to recover and to heal when they're lonely. The stats truly say when you have people around you, the healing quotient goes up. When people are supporting you in your life, you're able to bounce back from things a lot better. But when you're left to your own devices and left to yourself, you'll find yourself rotting away. I don't know about you, but I've experienced where I've walked with people who have operated in different sicknesses versus people who actually are by themselves in hospitals. And what you notice, a lot of people who are by themselves, they end up flatlining a lot sooner. And what we're here to say is that we want to help see how do we not only worry about those who are 60 and up, we need to deal with this right now. We need to not wait until we get a little bit older, a little bit senior. We need to make sure that as we're walking through this thing that we deal with this. So whether you're 60 and up or whether you're 30 and under, you're able to walk in this thing with purpose. Amen? So let me give you a couple quick things about loneliness, real quick about it costing. The average person in America has only one close friend. 25% of people have no confidant in their lives, no one they can actually dig into, no one they can be vulnerable with. 75% of people say that they are unsatisfied with their friendships. 
If you came with your friend, you might want to question them when you leave here. It's funny, but it's a real thing because even with the whole, you know, rampant rise of social media, what we find is that social media, while it's actually designed to connect us more, is actually isolating us more. As a matter of fact, even with all this technology and these connective opportunities, have you ever found that people that you know by social media, you follow them on Twitter, you follow them on IG or Facebook or on TikTok for all of you guys, and you find that they are one type of way when you see them online, but when you meet them, you're kind of disappointed. He was like, you're not the same person that I met. Y'all know they have those memes going around with the four quadrants with all the different things. They need to have a fifth quadrant that says the real me. And people just frowning up at you. All of these things are really real to us, but what we really want to know, I want you to write this down. If you're following by you version, I hope everyone is. This particular statement is in your notes, but I want you to grab this right here. It says this, we have more interactions with more people that know us less when we should be having more interactions with less people who know us more. Selah. That means let that sit for a second. Let me say that again. We have more interactions with more people that know us less when we should be having more interactions with less people who know us more. Quality over quantity. So how do we actually solve this problem, this, this loneliness epidemic? It's by intentionally building a communal church. It's by intentionally making sure that we're not islands unto ourselves. And I want you to check this out. Because if loneliness, I actually need y'all to lean in on this one for me. You got some new people in the house. Y'all need to lean in on this one. All the way in the back. Y'all know I'm going to say it. Lean in. Lean in. Listen to this. If loneliness is the epidemic, then community is the antidote. I'm going to say that one more time. If loneliness is an epidemic, then community is the antidote. And what we have to do, we have to be like those people we used to see in the movie. Some of y'all are like, yeah, I can sit back now. Yeah, you can sit back now. We have to be like those people who are in the movies. Like, you ever saw those movies when someone got infected with a virus and that one person had the little flask of the antidote and the people got, did everything they could to actually get to that person? That's how we need to be about community. But the reality is we don't do that. We self-protect. We stay away. We isolate. So these are the things that I want to deal with today. And I want to give a gauge in the room because there might be somebody in here that's saying, okay, I hear you up there in your community hoodie. You know, you're kind of trying to get me to connect with people, but I don't really know if this is for me, this message for me. Since you told me to get on version on my phone, you know, you won't know if I'm on Instagram or on version right now. But I want you to really dig into this because I want to, I want to give you a test of your loneliness to see if you even think that you're as, as together as you think you are. The question is this, if you had an emergency in your life right now, if it was a critical moment that was life and death, could you call and list in 30 seconds three people that you knew would come through for you? Wait, those three people can include your mother, your sister, or your brother. Yeah, I just changed the game for some of y'all. Y'all thought y'all had it. Yeah, mom, no, not mom and them. Can you list in 30 seconds without having to go through your whole contact list three people that you have confidence in that will come to your rescue, that will show up, that can be a pray for, the, pray for you on the spot type of person? See, it was interesting. As I was even preparing this message this week, literally this was tested in my life. I was working on this particular part of the message. I had it highlighted and everything on my notes. And one of my good friends texted me. He said, Mo, can you pray for me? Can you pray for my wife? We've been going to the hospital trying to see what's going on uh, over and over again. They haven't been able to diagnose, and she's still sick. And he said, can you pray? Literally, I didn't even let the iPhone bubbles finish. I said, praying right now. And I stopped what I was doing. I prayed right there. And then what I did is I sent him a screenshot. I said, man, I think this is God confirming this because I'm actually talking about this this weekend. And I said, I thank you for being a part of my three. And he said the same thing back to me. He texted me back. Thank you for being a part of my three. Listen, life and death can be at your hands. Life and death is at stake if you're not connected. And what we need to understand is that many times we don't take these things seriously until we need it. And then it's too late. So here's the thing, as we walk through this, as I hopefully now have everyone's attention in the room, I want to kind of give us a, a, the groundwork of what God says when it comes to community. 
Somewhat of a very familiar passage of scripture that I want to read. I want to start off with Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And I need some preachers in the house to help me. Everybody in here, you become a preacher on these certain points when I actually ask you to respond. In this scripture, it says this. It's going to be on the screen. It says, then God said, let who? Make man in who? Image according to who? It says, let God. Then God said, let us. Make man in our image according to our likeness. What that was representing, that was a community right there. That was the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit present right there in the creation story. And in the creation story, what God is showing us from the very get-go in the very first book of the Bible, he's saying, I'm about community. I'm about doing this not on my own, but about having a threefold cord that cannot easily be broken. And as you go down and you look at even John chapter 1, which references this as well, it says this. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. When you look at this scripture, it's actually really referencing Jesus. Jesus is the Word. That's why the Bible says Jesus is the Word made flesh that came to dwell among us. So when you see that right there, again, God is showing us that you're not to do this life alone. He's showing us that even being omnipotent, omniscient God, I still am doing this in community. I'm still not operating by myself. The word Jesus was with me. So as we're looking at this, I wanted you to know that God is modeling that even though he is God, he believes and embodies connection and community. And if God embodies connection and community, we ought to embody connection and community. So what God is really saying as we walk through this is that I am community. And that's why you can never look at God and just see him the same way every time. What do I mean by that? With God saying that he's a community, he's saying I'm multifaceted. When you see me one way, you might need my mercy. But you might look at me another way and you might need my grace. And another time, you might need me to be peace. And another time, you might need me to be strength. God is saying, I am multifaceted. I'm in community, which we should operate in that same way, meaning as people, as individuals, we ought to be what other people need in different times of need. Y'all catch that? We ought to be, our expressions of how God created us to be should be ready to be the answer, as we talked about last week, to be others' help, to be others, you know, place that they can actually find help. We have to avail ourselves to doing that. So as we're looking at this, let's break down the word community. It's in your notes. It says the word community actually equals common unity. Common unity. Furthermore, it's being connected to one another as unified individuals. Unified in three ways, purpose, values, and interests. Can you say that with me? Purpose, Purpose. values, and interests. So here's the thing. God's plan from the very beginning, his emphasis about community from the very beginning said that it is a good idea. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are like, I don't know if I'm tracking with you. Let me show you. God, from the very beginning, in the creation story, in Genesis 1, he took time and he created things over six days. And if you know the Bible just a little bit, what you recognize is that after every day of creation, God said that something was good. Y'all, good class. Every day he created something. The very first day, he created light and he said it was good. The second day, he actually separated the earth from the water. He said it was good. The third day, he created vegetation saying, y'all are going to need to eat some vegetables. It is good for you. The fourth day, he said, day and night, I'm going to separate it. Make sure you have it. It is good. He created the animals on the fifth day and said it was good. But what happened? He got to the sixth day. And he didn't just let this be something that came out of habit because he was actually very intentional and God is very intentional. He stopped and said, pump the brakes real quick. I know I said all those things that I created were good, but on the sixth day when I create man, I want to show you that it is not good for man to be alone. Five days went by. God talked about how good it was. On the sixth day, he said this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. I'm reading this from the Amplified Version because I like how it puts it. It says, now the Lord God said, it is not good, beneficial for the man to be alone. 
I will make him a helper, one who balances him out, a counterpart who is suitable and complementary to him. So as we look at this, hear this revelation. The very first thing in all of creation, in all of the universe that was not good in the eyes of God was isolation. Out of all the things that he created up until that point, the very first thing that wasn't good was him saying, it's not good for you to be alone. We say it like this, it's not good for man to be all in one. Because when you're all in one, you will actually justify yourself by your own thoughts. When you're all in one, you will think, I don't need anyone until you need someone. So as we're walking through this, I really want to minister this in a way where it's not hype, but it's very sober for us to do a a real uh, reconciliation of where we are so we can take an inventory on how we're walking this thing out. So here's the thing. As we're talking about community, let me give you a couple more words about what isolation and community looks like. Isolation, just in case you didn't know what I'm talking about, this might be you, one of these words. Isolation means that we are disconnected, disjoined, unaffiliated, uncombined, unconnected, unrelated, alone. If any one of those hits you, say amen. All right, somebody's like, I don't want to say amen because I don't want you to tell you I'm alone. But the opposite of that when we're in community means that we are associated, that we're linked up, that we're united, that we're allied, that we're joined, that we're banded together, and that we're undivided. So I want you to watch this, even as we talk about that Genesis 1, Adam, he wasn't by himself, but he was alone. See, animals were around, God was around, but there was no person there to keep him from being all in one, being alone. So just because, just like we talked about with crowded loneliness, just because you know a lot of people don't mean they know you. Just because you are in relationship with people, that doesn't mean they really know your real self. They know your Sunday self. I'm talking about your Wednesday at 3.34 p.m. self. That's the part that we want to dig in so that we really grab an understanding of community. So here it is. As we talk about community, I want to give you this big idea for today. The big idea, write this down, is that you don't need need community to be a Christian, but you need community to be human. I'm going to say that on this side of the room. You don't need community to be a Christian, but you absolutely need community to be a human. Because if you don't have communion, what you'll find yourself kind of going back into are animalistic ways. You'll find yourself kind of, you know, just trying to look out for yourself and trying to survive by any means necessary. But that's not what God has for us. So as we're looking at this, I want to kind of show us what it looks like to be a part of a communal church. How do we kind of walk this thing out? And, you know, I got some new toys, so I'm going to kind of take control right quick and kind of walk us through some stuff. So y'all just walk with me for a second. As we're talking about a communal church, here's the thing. You've come in here today at the 11 o'clock service on a Sunday to our weekend service. And you've come because you want to have an experience. You've come because you actually want something that actually you don't have. You want to be exposed to some things of God. You want to be exposed to good music. You want to be exposed to good messages. You want to be exposed to good people around you. But what happens is that that's just tier one when you start to just come in and experience this. What we have to look at is that the next level is where the vision is explained, where through classes and different things, you start to know, I want to know a little bit more. I don't want to just come and experience this and lift my hands and leave and not meet anybody. I might want to actually know a little bit more about the theology of this church. I might want to know, you know, what it means to be a member here by going to membership class. Nathan talked earlier about the forward class where we're talking about the sabotage cycle today, where you're able to really dig in. Then you tap tap, tap in and start to take classes to start explaining the weekend experience, start to explain where you're going. But it doesn't stop there. The next level, this is what we're talking about today, is when we get into the experience level by joining community. And community looks a lot of ways. Community can be that you're meeting at the Chick-fil-A. Community can mean that you meet at your house. Community can mean that there's some people that like to work out. We want to get together. We're going to work out, and we're going to say a prayer, and we're going to read some scriptures just to make sure we're all on point. But it doesn't stop there. It goes even to another level where we are now able to express it through serving. 
So how we walk through this whole communal aspect is that we start with the weekend service, we dig in a little bit more in the classes, we start to get in connection with people through community, then we start to have the expression of, I don't want to just participate, I now want to give back so that other people can experience what I experienced. But here's another thing, I'm going to take it another step further. Most people only stop at the first two levels. Most people are comfortable coming to a weekend service. Most people might even be a little bit more comfortable coming to a membership class or going to a forward class. But what happens is that we stop there, and when we stop there, what we're doing is that we're only doing it from a head knowledge. We're only connected to the church. We're only connected to the things of God in this context simply with our heads. When God says when you go to that third and fourth level, you now need to get connected with your heart. So what I'm saying today, everything that I'm talking about, this is not just for me to give you some good notes. This is for us to understand God wants our hearts. God wants us to come outside of level one and two of surface level relationships, and he wants our hearts. So as we're walking through this, that is the context of everything that I'm saying today, that God wants us to move and actually express community in the way that our hearts are actually in it. Let me walk you through something real quick. Because I want to show you scripturally what it looks like for us to put our hearts in it. Somewhat of a familiar passage of scripture, Acts chapter 2, we're going to go there. And this shows what it looks like when people go from head to heart. And they actually dig in and operate as a community. Verse 44 out of chapter 2 says this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give them to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their home. Some of y'all are like, I don't know about going to my home. It can even be a Chick-fil-A or a restaurant. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily to those who were being saved. See, that whole scripture is basically saying when you get in community, when you go to a heart level, you're no longer out here just worrying about you. You're not worried about us. And what is said in that last line where it says they came together and the church was added to them, what it says is that at one time when you're just dealing with it on head, you think about that church over there. Or you say, Victory Midtown, I'm going to kind of go join, you know, kind of just check it out. But when you go to levels three and four, you go from that church to our church. And when it becomes our church, you see the gifting of God being able to add to the numbers daily. Not Again, I said this a couple weeks ago, not because we're just looking for a whole bunch of numbers of people, but we want the weight of what God wants to do in and through those people that affects change in society. So as we're walking through this, I want us to get it. Because the future church is directly connected to the church experiencing growth in both numbers and in impact. But if we never connect, we'll find ourselves just us four and no more, not actually digging into something that's bigger than ourselves. So what I want to do today, again, just quickly, I'm going to give you what we call the ABCs of community. The ABCs of community. I like to give it to you in a way that you carry this with you when you leave here, and it's not something that we just had a spiritual experience and we don't know what we're saying when we leave this place. So when we talk about the ABCs of community, the first one is A, for accountability. For accountability. Now, I know accountability has been said as a bad word to a lot of people, but what I'm not saying is that uh, accountability is policing right or wrong behaviors. Account, that's not what I'm talking about, that we're going to be the, the sin police. And we're going to take the, whole, this, uh, the place of the Holy Spirit, and now we're going to start stepping in on your behalf. No, what we're saying is that when you have accountability, we are actually holding people accountable to fulfill God's purpose in their life. And now a lot of times what that will take is for us to actually talk to them once you've gained that trust, once you are able to walk with them. But one of the things that we want to, again, develop here at Victory Midtown is that it's a known thing that we're in accountability in a way that we're doing it through love. So, yes, we might have to share some things that you might want to get in line, but I don't want to actually tell you something that you need to fix before you even know I care about you. I want to walk with you in love and that through my love, what will happen, you will start to see how things need to change. 
If you're a leader in here and you received the lead well conversation a couple uh, last week, you heard me say this statement. And if you didn't, I want you to write this down. When it comes to accountability, a crooked stick doesn't know it's crooked until a straight stick shows up. A crooked stick doesn't know that it's crooked until a straight stick shows up. What do I mean? So many people are going around, they're doing the best they can. They don't know that I need to be operating this way, you know, based on the Bible's principles. They don't know that this is kind of out of line based on what the kingdom of God says. But if you come first hitting them over the head saying, thus say of the Lord, you're going to hell, they're not going to hear you. But what you can do is come right alongside of them and become that straight stick standard. And what I mean by straight stick, I'm not saying perfection. What I'm saying is that you may have gone through the process of getting healing in the area just a little bit ahead of them so that you can now show them that there is hope for you. And because you love them, you're able to ha have accountability, and now they're able to see, ah, these areas where I was a little crooked in, I didn't really understand why I felt like that. They'll start saying, oh, that's why I deal like that. Oh, that's why I respond like that. Even as we talk about the sabotage cycle and forward, that's one of the things that's talked about today. We show ourselves what it looks like to line up against a straight stick. Let me say this. Community is so important that Jesus, the Christ, even in all his power, he still valued community and knew he needed people to help him. What am I saying? In Matthew chapter 4, in verse 17, you see where Jesus came out of being baptized. He went through the wilderness and got tempted. Then the first thing he came and said is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he did something before he said, between him saying that and then him going and actually performing miracles. He went and he got some help. He went and he actually gathered some people. He went and he found Peter and Andrew and then James and John. Because what he said is like, I know what I'm called here for. I am God in flesh, here to do a work in the world. But even me, with all my power, I can't do this by myself. My question to you is, who are your Peter, Andrew, James, and John? Who are those three to four people that you can call, and it doesn't take you a whole hour to figure out who's going to pick up the phone? See, if Jesus, with all his power, had to do it, are we better than Jesus? Do we have more discipline than Jesus? I don't think so. I'm going to speak for myself. I don't. So I need help. So as Jesus saw this need, we need to have this need. And if we understand that we are all, can everybody just raise your hands in the room right now? Come on, just trust me. We all are on the road to purpose. We are all on the road to purpose, figuring this thing out, walking by the Bible's tenets, walking by what he says that we should be as disciples. But here's what I want you to know. It's a lot harder, as we're on this road, it's a lot harder to fall asleep at the wheel when you have somebody sitting next to you. Figuratively speaking, if you're ever taking a long road trip, you got a little bit more punk, uh, spunk in you when you got somebody with you versus how you'll just doze off by yourself. Because you kind of say, okay, there's other lives in here. There's other value in here. I want to make sure that it's not just about me. I'm caring for everyone that's in this vehicle. But I want you to write this statement down. I don't believe this is in your notes because this is going to be something that was good to me and I hope it's good to you. The Lord said something to me and I wrote this down. He said, as we're talking about accountability and we want to have this road to moving forward with purpose, he said this, the proper people promote purpose and protect us from pitfalls. Let me slow that down. Let me say it one more time. Accountability, the right people in your life. The proper people promote purpose and protect us from pitfalls. Because when you have the right people, the proper people around you, they will care for you. The proper people around you will want to look out for you and make sure you don't just go fall in a, pit, in a, in a pitfall. You know those people that you say, you should have told me not to do that. And they're like, one, you didn't even listen to me. And one, we haven't even, number two, we haven't talked in two weeks. But when we have the right people in our lives, it keeps us from certain pitfalls. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says this. From the NIV, I like this. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. 
not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Some people are in the habit of being isolated. Some people are in the habit of not meeting together. And what you're doing is you're subjecting yourself to all types of danger. It says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, for some of us, the habit of isolation and the cycle of isolation is something that we just keep going around this mountain. And we know we're alone, but we actually don't deal with it. And what I found when it comes to that accountability is wherever I'm struggling in life the most is an area where I have very little accountability. Can y'all let that sink in for a second? You don't have to raise your hand and say that's me, but I'm just talking about for myself. The areas where I find myself struggling the most are the areas where I don't invite accountability in, where I try to hide a a fashion of my life, where I try to kind of just say I'm good over here, but don't think about what's over here. And God doesn't want us to hide that. He wants us to get in community with trusted people who are able to walk this thing out. Hear this. This gives us some clues with that. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says, where there is no wise, intelligent guidance. Key words, wise, intelligent. I'm not talking about just those people who don't have any, any knowledge. Where there is no wise, intelligence guidance, the people fall and go off course like a ship without a helm. But in the abundance of wise and godly counselors, there is victory. Have you noticed that you always do better when somebody's watching? Have you noticed that when, you know, you know, that person that you kind of like, you got some feelings for, when they come around, you kind of put on your best self. The shoulders kind of go up a little bit. A lot of you in the room, you know, I post workout videos and stuff for inspiration. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a little secret. I make sure I finish my sets when that video is on. When that video is on, I can go a little bit longer. When that video is not on, I'm like, man, I'm tired after 11. I know I got 15 reps, but I'm tired. But when I put that video on, it's like, okay, do it for the ground. Do it for the ground. Let's go. Somebody needs to see this to get in health. Let's go. We do better when people are watching. And actually, we do even better when somebody's doing it with us. Yeah, you can do better when the video is on, but when I have somebody working out with me, oh, I can do now 20 sets, 20 reps. And so some of us need to carry that in our lives and say, what have I been failing in because I haven't had anybody there to push me? What am I failing in that if I just ask ask somebody to come alongside me, I'll be able to do better? So here's the thing. Iron sharpens iron. That's Proverbs 27, 17. I don't have time to read that. But iron sharpens iron. And what we need to do is we need to be welcoming the sharpening, not fighting against it. We need to welcome the sharpening of someone helping us out, not fighting against it. Which leads me to the fact that we need to go to B, which is belonging. Belonging. Belonging means to be a part of. And here's the thing, we are created to belong because we have an internal need to belong. So I don't want you ashamed of the fact that you're wanting people to be around you. Sometimes, have you ever had those thoughts, you're like, why am I feeling so emotional? Why, why? me and y'all might not actually say something right now, you might even give me a grunt. But you know, sometimes we say, I'm kind of feeling a little needy right now. Because we have a yearning to belong. There's a yearning for us to be in connection. But if we don't, what we're doing is we're starving ourselves from the nourishment that God actually worked into the the lives of other people. We yearn to belong. As we walk through this, many times what happens is that we protect ourselves from rejection that we've had in the past. When I was writing these notes down, I started to think back. The Lord took me back and actually started to have me see this room full of people at the age of 13. Why at the age of 13? Because at the age of 13, that's around the age where, you know, you're at school and you're in recess and you're playing kickball and then people are picking people and it's like, okay, I got him, I got her, I got him. And nobody wanted to be that last person picked. But some of us are actually still living as our 13-year-old selves. We're still living the lives of saying, okay, I'm not good enough. I've been rejected. So what we do is we protect ourselves from being rejected by never putting ourselves out there. What we do is that we say, okay, no, this will never happen to me again because I'm going to now control the narrative. Now, I'm going to be the one that's the life of the party. I'm going to be the one that's inviting people in. You can't keep me out of my own party. But I'm here to tell you, 
God does not want you walking around with those flesh wounds. God does not want you walking around still living, living the life as a 13-year-old person. As a matter of fact, he told me right here in this moment, I need you to pray for the congregation because whether people admit it or not, so many people are still stuck back in the past. So right now, in the middle of this sermon, I want you to raise your hands. I want you to lift your hands right now. Whether you want to admit it or you don't want to admit it, I'm declaring right now an end to that spirit of rejection. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you right now that every hand that is being held up in the air right now, it represents people who have value to offer. God, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus, the hands that they're lifting up, they will start to use them to reach out to people and to receive people who want to help them. God, I pray right now that the spirit of courage comes upon us, that we don't isolate ourselves, but we operate in community by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody put your hands together if you receive that prayer. So here's the thing. We're talking about loneliness. We're talking about community. The first step to coming out of loneliness, I'm going to give you some, some Loneliness one-on-one is to admit that you're lonely. It might be a hard thing, but the first step to admitting that you need help, that you're lonely, is to say that I'm lonely. Because God has an answer for those who admit that they're lonely. But he can't help you if you don't ask for the help. Psalm 68 verse 6, it says this, God makes a home for the lonely. He leads the prisoners into prosperity. Prisoners mean that I've been locking myself up in this cave by myself. He leads the prisoners into prosperity. And only the stubborn and rebellious dwell in a parched land. Which means you only stay lonely, you only stay thirsty for a community if you keep yourself in that situation. So as we're walking through this, I want you to hear this. Mother Teresa said it like this. She says, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. Loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. And catch this, no one wants to, wants to admit that they're lonely. No one wants to admit that they're a leper. No one wants to admit that I really need somebody to come around me, but I'm actually feeling a little hurt and I'm feeling a little afraid. So what we do is we spiritualize things and we now isolate. I'm not talking about getting in solitude. Because in solitude, sometimes we need to get away from people to recharge. All my introverts in the house, can I get some, make some noise? Y'all not going to make noise because you're introverted. <laughs> As an introvert, sometimes you need to pull back from people to recharge so that you can be a blessing to people when you're with them. But what we do is we go to the other extreme and we isolate. And we say, I'm just going to get with Jesus. All I need is Jesus. All I need is you. Lies. <laughs> you need people. You need people to be around you. Because here's the thing. Loneliness is not spiritual. Can I say that one more time? Being lonely is not spiritual. You're not more spiritual because you lock yourself up in a prayer closet all day. You might just be afraid of people. Come on. I'm preaching to myself right now. So what we have to do as we walk through this, we have to understand that belonging and being connected literally gives us life. The stats say something like this. It says that people who actually do life with other people and actually have a lot of good social connections and they have bad eating habits, they smoke, they drink, they're doing all these things to actually shorten their lives, they actually live longer than people who are trying to be in shape and trying to make sure they do all the right things. They shop at Trader Joe's and Whole Foods only. Let me, let me, hold on real quick. Have y'all ever been to Trader Joe's and Whole Foods and you're looking around, everybody seems so mad. <laughs> I'm like, the whole reason why you say you shop here is because you want this holistic lifestyle. Get some personality about yourself. But what I'm here to say is that what happens, you see, y'all know it's real. Somebody sitting next to somebody like, get some life about yourself. Catch this. What that whole thing is saying is this. As you talk about those habits actually making sure that you can have all those good habits and still shorten your life, this is what I want to say to you. It is better to eat Jenny's ice cream with good friends. Than to take wheatgrass shots by yourself. Can I say that again? It is better to eat Jenny's ice cream with friends. 
than to take wheatgrass shots and turmeric and ginger by yourself. Somebody, when you leave here, you just need to get some friends together and say, we're going to Jenny's. We're going to Jenny's. Invite me, y'all. Invite me, y'all. I want Jenny's. So listen to this. This takes me to the last one. I'm, go- I'm taking a little bit more time today. Is that all right? I'm taking a little bit more time today because this is so crucial. We live in a world where we're always so in and out. We're always watching our clock. But literally, this can save somebody's life today. And I want to make sure that I finish my assignment today to make sure that when we leave here, that we're more connected than we were isolated. So as we look at this, this takes us to the last and final point of care. The C stands for care. Care is when things are done to keep something in good condition. See, here's the thing. When there is accountability, the A, and there is belonging, the B, care is easy. When there's accountability and belonging, care becomes easy. And that's why you hear me often talk about in the different pastors here at Victory Midtown, we talk about developing and cultivating a culture of care. Because in a culture of care, you're not just thinking about yourself by yourself. In a culture of care, when you don't see somebody after a few weeks, Sunday after Sunday, you start to ask, well, where is my neighbor? Where is the person that was sitting in front of me? Where is the person that was sitting down the road from me? You're not just out here by yourself. As a matter of fact, I want you to say this. I am a care carrier. Come on, say it again. I am a care carrier. Here at Victory Midtown, we want you to be care carriers. And it starts with being aware of who's around you and what those needs are. So much so that even in our philosophy, our mantra, even when it comes to serving here at Victory Midtown, is this. If you haven't heard us say it, I hope that you will experience this. We would rather you be healthy than to have your hands. Let me break that down. We would rather you be healthy mentally, physically, emotionally. Come and sit and receive the word. Come and sit and get healthy. Come and go to forward, go through the classes to receive inner healing before you just jump in because we just have something we need you to fill your hands with. Yes, we have areas we need people to serve in. Yes, we need things done. This church is growing. God is blessing us to really impact this city. But if you're not healthy, sick people infect other people. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're not taking time and saying, oh, we just need to fill a call. We just need to fill a need. So just come on. We'd rather you sit back for a minute and take some time and get filled up before you pour out. So as we look at this, I want you to know this. Care is supposed to be introduced in here and then fulfilled out there. Come on, if you're taking notes, I don't even know if that's in you version. But care is supposed to be introduced in here and fulfilled out there. But you have to be open to do that. Because as we are created to know and to be known, what we want you to know is that we're more concerned about who you are than what you can do. When I talk to people, I'm not worrying about what your job title is and, you know, how much money you make and, you know, what church you came from and all that. I want to know, how's your soul? How are you doing? Have you slowed down enough to, to get healthy in a new environment? Have you slowed down enough to let God minister to you because he wants to use you, but he has to heal you first? And I'm not saying you have to be perfect before you use are used by God, but what I'm saying is that there are times where you need to just slow down a little bit and come and tell somebody, I need some help walking through this thing. Somebody just yell out, help! help. All of us need help at some time. So here's the thing. Community is to the human soul what food is to the human body. Community is to the human soul what food is to the human body, and that is nourishment. Give you a quick example as I kind of wrap this message up. It's flu season, as we all know. Somebody's like, yeah, I'm trying to get out of here in a minute. There's a lot of people in here. It's flu season, and I caught the flu a week and a half ago. I was down. I was out on Wednesday, coming into Thursday. And the Lord, you know, I had to pray hard. My wife was praying for me, and I started to feel better. But I had to go to the doctor to actually be assisted in my healing process. Now, here's the thing. As I went to the doctor, they said, listen, We want to help take care of you, but we want you to know that only this person that has the license to write this prescription can actually give you this. You can't get this over the counter. So the doctor wrote me a prescription for my healing. 
And what I found was when I went to actually get the prescription, okay, this is not something I could have just bought at, at Walgreens. This is something I had to actually have some help from a doctor that had the prescription, that had the ability to actually help me in my healing. Here's what I'm saying. What prescription are you holding on to that you're supposed to be helping somebody else heal because you won't get into community? What prescription do only you have that God has uniquely made you able to fulfill in somebody's life if you're on this side, on the other side of the room, because you won't get in community? We're holding back people's life expectancy because we won't actually give of ourselves. So my thing is we all have to be so aware that God is saying, listen, write the prescription, be the doctor, be the one that helps heal. And another way that I actually look at that is I remember on that same week, when I went to the hospital, they said, listen, this flu is going around. If you have somebody in your house that you love, you need to actually wear this mask that we're going to give you. I was like, I don't want to wear any mask. But lo and behold, every time if I get sick, a day or two later, my wife would get sick or vice versa. And what I thought about with that, they told me to take this mask. And I said, okay, you know, I'll wear it because I don't want her getting sick. We have a lot of stuff to do. She still has to teach classes. I put this mask on. And you'll notice, even when I put this mask on, it kind of changes the way my communication filters. And when I put the mask on, what I had to do is I had to be very intentional not to actually do things that would pass on this flu. And what was different was because Kendra and I, we're very affectionate. So it was hard for me to keep love away from her. She's fine, too. It was hard... It was hard for me to not come and hug her and kiss her and, and be close to her. And what I'm saying is that for some of us, there are things that we are actually holding back being close to people because we can't give them what we have. And I know I'm talking about a virus that might go the other way, but I'm talking about there are things that you have that you're carrying that if you would stop kind of putting a mask up and letting people have a mask up, you could actually transfer that love, transfer that healing, transfer that community that that person needs. So I'm here to say, take the mask off. Take the mask off. Take the mask off and operate in community. Because as we do this, what we'll do is that relationally, there are things that only God can fill in people, but God did it so perfectly that there are also things that only people can heal in people. Because just like that flu, it takes people to get other people sick, but it also takes people to get other people healed. And I believe as we leave here today, we will start to learn how are we able to operate in this healing power. Because one of the greatest revelations I have ever had here in my recent future, uh, past was that I can't do this alone. And no matter how strong I feel I am, no matter how talented I feel I am, I cannot do it alone. And it took me some time to get used to that. So here's this last scripture that I want to read to us today. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. It says this, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Verse 12 says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braid cord is not easily broken. So I want to close with this. The problem that many of us have is that we don't have enough people surrounding us to keep off the things that life is throwing at us. We don't have enough people to look at what we can't see in our blind spot to say, well, you might need to move this way. You might need to shift that way. Can I suggest this? So for some of us today, the challenge is going to be, let me just come outside of myself. There are a lot of different ways that we can actually get in community, but we believe here at Victory that small groups is the best way because what you're doing is you're going down a path with people who are like-minded. You're going down a path with people who want to become disciples just like you. So as I close, I want to just remind you of what happened in Acts chapter 2 when they came together. It says they were together, they met together, they ate together, more people were impacted and saved because they were together, because community is supposed to be a place that purpose, heart, connection, and protection happens. And as we get ready to leave today, I want you to know this without a shadow of a doubt. 
For all of us who have been saying, I'm trying to get it together, lean in one more time for me. Lean in one more time for me as we get ready to leave. You cannot get it together until we get together. You cannot get it together until we start to get together as a community. So as we're walking through this, I want you to know we have to make community a matter of life and death because it's literally by the escape of community is taking 15 years plus off of people's lives that are not connected in community. See, I lead a small group and I'm in a small group. As the pastor here with the different things I have going on, I'm both in a small group and I lead a small group because I need community. I need help. I need people that are gonna have my back. I need people who want the purposes of God in my life to come to pass just like I want the purposes of God to come in their lives. So for all of us who have been on the fringes, let today be the last day that you live by yourself. Let today be the last day that you live in isolation. Because I want to charge us to not just be hearers of the word and to say, yeah, I got that quote that he said. Let's start to be the answer. Let's start to live these quotes out. So the way that I want to seal this message today is I want us to seal it with communion. Because communion is actually something that Jesus did in his last hours with those who were close to him. And you might be a believer in here or you might not be a believer in here yet, but you want to become one today. No matter who you are, we want to invite you to take part in communion with us as they pass the buckets and the elements down your, down your aisle. And as you're receiving those elements, I want to say this. Literally, the Lord just kind of whispered this to me this morning. As we're talking about communion, a lot of times we hear where the scriptures say, Jesus said, do this often in remembrance of me. And yes, he wants us to remember the sacrifice that he made for us. Yes, he wants us to remember that he died on the cross for our sins and our wholeness. But what I believe, this is what the Lord just whispered to me. He said, I wasn't just saying do this often in remembrance of me so you remember what I did on the cross. I wanted to make sure that you got around this table often, that you came together with people that love you often, that you didn't let a whole lot of time go by without saying, where have you been? Let's come together and remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. So today, I want you to take off that first layer and take the bread. Because this bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. And even as I've been ministering for this last hour, I want to let you know that some of us have been walking around broken, but there's a healer that is here on your behalf. And today, as we get ready to take this, what we're going to do, if you have a sickness in your body, if you have something that's going on emotionally, psychologically, even physically, and you want to come in agreement with your healing, just lift that up right now. Lift the bread up right now. If you heard the message and just even the epidemic of loneliness is real to you in your life in any fashion, lift that up real high. Yes, Lord, we'll pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you right now that you are the healer. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us to have his body broken so that we can be made whole. God, as I look over this congregation of mighty people that are connecting in community, I thank you that your desire is not for us to live in a broken state, but it's for us to live in wholeness and live healed. So, Father, I speak blessing. I speak healing. We come in agreement by faith that we are healed and we are whole. In Jesus' name, we take now and eat together. Hallelujah. Let's take now. We're going to drink of what is called the blood of Jesus. If you're in here today and you even heard this message, you said, man, this community thing sounds good. Yes, I've been a little lonely, I need some help. I wanna let you know that there's hope for you because the very first person that's gonna fill that void of loneliness is Jesus. And right now, if you're in here and you wanna accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you wanna surrender your heart to him so that you can have this relationship with him so you're never alone. Yes, you need Jesus, but you need people. We want to pray this prayer with you so that we can usher you into the kingdom of light and out of the kingdom of loneliness and darkness. So if you're in here and you want to give your life to Jesus, we're going to pray this prayer together. Let's bow our heads. Father, say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins.
Thank you for being a sacrifice so that I can be forgiven. Today I surrender my heart and my soul to you as my Lord and Savior. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you come into my heart and change me so that I can live for you and so I can even be a blessing to other people. From this day forward, I confess that I am saved. With every head continue to be bowed, if you just confess that for the first time while all heads are bowed before we drink of this, can you just lift one of your hands up to me real quick? I see those hands all over the room. I just want to say that we are proud of you, that we are thankful for you, and we believe that the best is yet to come for you. Let's seal this in Jesus' name. Let's take together and drink. Hallelujah. We're going to drop these elements in the bucket, but I want you, before we do that, just to lift your hands in the air right now one more time before we leave. I want to pray a prayer over you. Father, I thank you that your people have courage to try again, that your people have courage to trust again, that your people, Father, will allow your love to be delivered through them and from other people. God, wrap your arms around every person under the sound of my voice so that they know that they're not alone, but that we also take the practical steps of connecting with people right here even today so that we can live in community. I declare, Lord God, as we say that we shall live and not die and declare the mighty work of the kingdom. And our life starts now by connecting in community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you, Victory. I love you. Let's get in community.